You've heard the question asked, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, in this episode, here's the question I'm asking. What comes first in ranching, the lifestyle or the business? Dallas Mount, CEO for Ranch Management Consultants, joins me as we talk about why ranching and profit do not need to be contradicting terms on this episode of the Working Ranch Podcast. Welcome to the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Thank you for joining us. And I'll tell you, we have a very packed episode today. As you heard in the intro, we're going to be hearing from Dallas Mount on what I consider to be a a major issue in ranching. And that is the fact that there seems to be sometimes more focus on the lifestyle and less about it being run as a business. Also, we're going to be looking at addressing the causes of stress in operations from little to no profitability, let alone having sustainability for future and also the ability to pass it on to the next generation. So a lot to talk about with our main topic today. Plus, just hearing some breaking news as we were recording this episode, there was some legislation introduced in Washington, D.C. this week called the Cattle Market Transparency Act, something that's been a long time coming. Jess Peterson with Western Sky Strategies will be joining me to talk about this bill, and that'll be coming up in the latter half of this episode. Right now, I'd like to thank our sponsors for this episode of Working Ranch Podcast, the American Simmental Association. You know, there's a lot of tradition in the cattle industry that we admire and we appreciate. However, we still have to be profitable, which is why the American Semental Association believes that their primary purpose for existence is genetic evaluation and providing genetic awareness tools that help producers make decisions that will move their operations forward from maternal traits to terminal traits. The genetic merit of Simmental Genetics has provided increased profitability to the rancher. Simgenetics profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Also a sponsor today is Stevenson Angus with their spring sale coming up on March 17th, St. Patty's Day. Put that in your calendar, 1 o'clock Mountain Time at the Home Ranch, just a mile and a half south of Hobson, Montana. Also, that'll be carried on Superior's Livestock Click to Bid for Stevenson Angus sale. Well, the Working Ranch Podcast is proud to be a part of Working Ranch Magazine, and the March issue is out. And as always, there's a lot of good information. Now, in light of some of my conversations with meteorologist Don Day and the forecast for dryness that we could be seeing across many portions of the country, I'd point to you an article on page 30 of the March issue on pasture management apps written by Loretta Sorensen. Good information there on a couple apps that she's researched. So if you if you do not receive Working Ranch Magazine, you'd like to find out more, easy way to do that is go to their website at workingranchmag.com. Well, right now we're going to check in with the Captain Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch podcast land. So apparently the Colorado Governor Jared Polis is declaring March 20th Meat Out Day as a way to promote meatless diets to his constituents. Justin and listeners, go to the Colorado Cattlemen's Facebook page and drill down a little bit there and find out what 
the beef community is doing to respond to this interesting declaration. This is Tim's Two Cents. Hope you guys have a great day. Well, thanks, Captain. So now here's the deal. In an effort to show my attitude of working together and compromise, now here's the deal that I believe that we can all make with the governor of Colorado and those that are going to celebrate March 20th as Meat Out Day or even even the deal that's been around a few years called Meatless Monday. Here's the deal. Let's push the idea that we promise, that we promise to only eat meat on days that end in Y. How about that? Is that a deal or not? But by the way, be sure to do check out Colorado Cattlemen's Facebook page to see how they are handling this push from their governor there in Colorado. Wow. Well, stay right here. When we come back, we're going to find out whether the words ranching and profit are contradicting terms. Then later in the episode, an update on the legislation introduced about market transparency in the cattle market. We'll be back after this. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mills. You know, it is bull buying season, and if you think that your budget limits your access to industry-leading genetics, then might I suggest this website, stevensonangus.com. Yep, you've heard of Stevenson Angus out of Hobson, Montana, home of America's longest established bull cell. Now, it's a name that is literally synonymous with the Angus breed that has provided the breed with some of the most complimentary genetics targeted for the commercial cow herd. You know, I was talking with Daryl Stevenson just the other day. Here was his exact words, quote, we truly have 100% concentration on the commercial cow herd in their program, unquote. And you can see it. Take a look at this set of bulls that are being offered in their upcoming sale. It's going to be on Wednesday, March 17th. That is St. Patrick's Day. They're going to be selling about 250 head of yearling calving ease bulls from sires like Declaration or Turning Point, Alternative, Easy Money, just to name a few. And here's another thing. Did you know that 95% of the bulls offered are from sires that are owned by Stevenson Angus. This is a program that believes in their own genetics. A program with strong maternal base focused on foot structure, longevity, udder structure, disposition, as well as performance that the calf buyers will want. So mark your calendar for Stevenson Angus sale March 17th, St. Patty's Day. Sale time will be 1 o'clock Mountain Time. It will also be carried on Superior Livestock's Click to Bid. Now for a catalog, here's a couple options. You can find it on their website at stevensonangus.com or just give Daryl a call or text on his cell phone at 406-350-5443. That's 406-350-5443. Better bulls, better value, better selection. Stevenson Angus, March 17th sale, 1 p.m. 
Well, our topic of today's episode centers around what I believe to be a major block in the road when it comes to the future for those currently in ranching and those that are pursuing to become a rancher. And that is, is this a lifestyle or is it a business? Now, keep in mind that I did not say job. I said, is this a lifestyle or is this a business? Which is why in my intro today, I compared it to the question of what came first, the chicken or the egg. However, my question of what comes first in ranching lifestyle or business, there's going to be a stark contrast to those questions in that with the chicken question, first of all, one really doesn't care in reality, as long as we just get our eggs and bacon in the morning for breakfast, we're fine. However, with the question of what comes first in ranching, is it the lifestyle or the business? We can be drawn to an answer that provides a future and sustainability for those that also enjoy the lifestyle. So joining me today is Dallas Mount. He's the CEO and owner of Ranch Management Consultants. Now I'm going to back up just a little bit and give you a little background information on Ranch Management Consultants. It was born out of a co-teaching program that Stan Parsons and Alan Savory had together back in about the 1970s. Now Stan went on to establish Ranch Management Consultants and then began teaching ranching for profit schools. Now, in 2001, he sold it to Dave and Kathy Pratt. Dave had been an instructor in the school for Parsons and and decided to go ahead and buy the business out. And then in 2019, Dave and Kathy sold it to our guest today, Dallas Mount and his wife, Dixie. Now, Dallas also was an instructor prior to his owning the business. So there's kind of the history of Ranch Management Consultants. Now, let's head into our topic. And Dallas, I'd like for you to address a pet peeve of mine that's when I hear someone in agriculture proudly claim that they're doing this for the lifestyle. Now, now don't get me wrong, because I will, I will admit myself that what drew me back to the ranch partly was the lifestyle and the opportunity to raise my family in this way of life. So I'm not going to negate that. However, what's your thoughts when you hear someone say there's not much money in ranching i'm just doing it for the lifestyle <laughs> i i'm probably kind of like you justin on that and it, it bothers me a little bit and and i can get all behind enjoying the work that you do and enjoying your profession and feeling like you're making a contribution uh but but a lot of the ranches i get to see uh, you know, if, if you really look inside of them, there is um, there's a lot of stress about uh, you know how we're going to pay the bills at the end of the year. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns about uh, you know what's the cash flow situation going to look like for the coming year. Um, what's the ownership strategy as we move between generations? Uh, as you look at the land, uh, you know a lot of the things that are going on from the land perspective. Uh, some of the ranchers aren't really proud of that, uh, you know. And then and then there's the other hand where you know some of the businesses I'm fortunate enough to get to work with, where uh, you know cash flow is good and and we have a solid plan moving forward and there's clarity about what the succession plan is and and when we look down at the land and out at the animals, we we see health and we're building. Um, ecological health in our systems and the and the animals are doing well. Uh, so oftentimes when I hear people say, I do it for the lifestyle, I kind of chuckle because I think, well, well, what is the lifestyle? Is it a lifestyle of stress and, and uncertainty and insecurity? Or is it a lifestyle where, um, you know, you, 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 there's clarity in the business management. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you've you've got a shared mission and vision, and and people are are bought into it, and everybody's clear on their role in the business. So, um, I'm all for enjoying the profession that we choose to work in, but I think it needs to be a business first to create the lifestyle objectives that we want from it when we look inside of it. 
you know, you're in the business of teaching and consulting a wide variety of ranchers, both in different types of operations to different sizes, scopes of operations. So let's try to narrow it down. As you meet with these guys and you see them and they're coming to your schools and a lot of them are having issues, which is probably in some cases why some of them are there. But can you narrow it down to about three things that are creating losses or stress in ranching operations? Yeah, let's think about that a little bit. Um, you know, so, so you're right. There's a huge variety of people we get to work with. Um, you know, most of our clients, if if you were to draw a circle from southern Canada, kind of the uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan intersection that goes to North Texas and, and kind of a big uh, oval in, in that area, that would probably be where about 75% of our clients come from. Uh, you know, we've got a, some clients that are east of the Mississippi, uh, some clients that are in uh, California, Nevada, uh, you know, Oregon, Washington, and down in New Mexico. But for the most part, that, that circle is our clientele group. Um, and then the scale of the ranches is all over the place. So, you know, whether they're running 10,000 mama cows or whether somebody's just starting a business and, and starting from scratch, you know, and, and maybe just running a few. Um, so the, the most common business we get to look at is, is probably the multi-generational cow-calf model, right? Where somebody's uh, picking it up, maybe their second or third or fourth generation. And, mm-hmm. and it's oftentimes a ranch that's built on cows as the primary enterprise. And, and so as we start pulling that business apart and looking at it economically, um, there are some commonalities of, of things that we find. Number one is probably that the overheads are too high. And when we say overhead costs, we're talking what economists would normally call fixed costs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so let, let's dissect that down a little bit because I think inside of that uh, are probably actually numbers one and two. Um, so overheads are high and, and overheads are land costs and labor costs. Okay? And, and labor costs are people and things. So people being salaries, wages, mm-hmm. you know, benefits, things like that, and things being machinery, uh, things that support people. Uh, so, so when we look at that, the real, I, I think some of the rules that are often being broken is number one, the, the people. Um, we've seen these businesses that were were a certain size to support a family, and maybe at one time they did, and, and as markets have changed and dynamics have changed, that that business of that scale is no longer scaled enough to support that family. And, and then oftentimes we want to add another family to it. You know, maybe it's bringing junior home or maybe it's creating an opportunity for somebody else. And, and as we completely, as we continue that cycle, we often have businesses that aren't sized right to support the number of people that they're being asked to support. Okay. So and there's a couple of solutions to that. One is to send some of the people packing, which, which can be kind of a hard thing to say. So, so oftentimes we look at what are other things we can do with this existing set of overheads to create value, right? And other enterprises we can layer on the business, uh, ways of doing value added things with what's there. Uh, and, and please don't hear me say everybody run out and start a branded beef program. Everybody start a dude ranch. That's not what I'm suggesting, right? But, but what are ways we could, we could add some value to the existing set of overheads? So, so I'd say number one is we're, we're trying, we've got too many mouths at the trough. And by that, I mean mm-hmm. too many people trying to live on a business that's just not big enough to support those people. And then another thing that's inside of that is the equipment side of things. And, you know, it, um, a lot of times these businesses, and you mentioned lifestyle businesses. So, so these lifestyle businesses, we make decisions uh, from oftentimes a tax avoidance strategy first. Yeah. And, you know, you've got a well-meaning accountant who 
who you're coming to at the end of the year saying, well, you know, here's my books. And they say, well, if you don't want to pay some income tax, you can upgrade some of these pieces of equipment. And and so we make those decisions from well-intended purposes that put our businesses in an economic crutch down the road. And I mean, I you know, I've seen businesses where uh, you know, maybe we're making uh, $50,000, $60,000 worth of hay a year and just the equipment depreciation alone is running at $80,000, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the things that just totally don't make sense from uh, from an overhead structure perspective. So, mm-hmm. so let's look at the business. Let's get the overhead structure right so we can meet our goals and our business is operating at scale. And, and then I'd say the third thing is going to be the, the gross margin of the business. The, and when we say the gross margin, what we mean by that is how good is the enterprise at producing value? Okay, mm-hmm. so, so if I'm looking at a cow herd, I'm going to say, well, this cow herd has a certain amount of value it's producing and we call that gross product. Mm-hmm. And then there's direct costs in having it produce that. So for every additional cow I run, uh, these costs are going to go up additionally. So things like feed costs, vet costs, um, you know, marketing commissions, things like that. And, and so we take our gross product, the value of production, minus the direct cost, and that gives us our gross margin. Okay? And, and we look inside of a lot of these cow-calf businesses and their gross margins are not at all exciting. Um, they're they're spending way too much on direct costs relative to their gross product. Okay, so so to get a little bit more specific for you, uh, the the one that often breaks the rule is feed cost. You know, we we've got a cow that might be producing you know a, a seven hundred dollar calf, seven hundred and fifty dollar calf. Not every cow produces a calf. We've got some cow replacement costs in there. So let's say we've got six seven hundred dollars of value to work from. And there's a lot of businesses that are spending $400 of that just on feed, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, there's just not enough margin left over to, to really get excited about covering these overheads. So, uh, to, to circle back around for you, uh, three things, I would say margins are, are, not, are not good. Mm-hmm. We need to have a stronger gross margin. Um, we need to keep our overheads in line. And those overheads are going to be things like people and machines. Okay, so we've identified some things here and maybe some of the the answer is in okay we'll change those things let's change our margins let's let's reduce our overheads but let's step into that a little bit more and let's address what are some things then that we can start to look at in terms of increasing more profitability in our operations sure Let, let's pick on the margin one at first and we can we can have a discussion about that so so let's say we looked at our cow business and our and our margin stake okay they were, we're not excited about them so so there's a couple of different ways to to do that i'm going to say well is it about cutting direct costs or is it about becoming more productive uh, having a higher gross product and and i'm not going to offer solutions we're we're going to ask questions to people and i mean it's it's crazy when you, when you ask people the right questions, they know the answers. I mean, most of these ranchers know how to turn their business around. They just need to help be put in the right frame of mind and be asked the right questions in order to, in order to address it. So, um, you know, how do we manage those direct costs? Well, somebody says, well, my hay feeding costs are killing me. Okay. Well, well, why are your hay feeding costs killing you? Well, you know, we, we cover up with snow this time of year or, or we, our grazing is such that we run out of 
feed in in November, right? We got to feed till grass is green again in May. Um, maybe it's well, you know, these cows just aren't maintaining their condition. Uh, you know, when they start to calve in February, March time of year, you know, the demands on their nutritional, we just got to keep hay in front of them. Okay, so so what are things you can do about that, right? So somebody might say, well, we could change our calving season. Okay, well, there's an idea. Let's let's bet it out. Somebody else might say, well, maybe we shouldn't run cows, right? I mean, if we're if we're running in country where we snow up to our waist for six months out of the year having a year-round breeding herd there might not make very much sense, right? So, mm-hmm. okay, so if we didn't run cows, what could you do? Well, we could we could run stalkers, we could custom graze somebody else's cows, maybe, maybe short-term cows, maybe, you know, um, repackaging animals. Well, okay, well, let's run some margins on those, right? Mm-hmm. So we're just going to start thinking about what are the challenges in front of us uh, and what are the solutions to those? And, and sometimes it's a totally different enterprise mix. Um, you know, other times it's just restructuring the existing enterprise. Uh, rarely is it making minor tweaks on things. Okay. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes people come to the school and they think, well, I want to come and I want to learn, you know, what kind of bull I should be running or, or what kind of grass I should plant in my pasture or, you know, what, what, and, and those are never, we never find those kind of answers, right? It, it's never a, well, here, just buy this and everything's great. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. we're not looking for minor tweaks. We're looking for substantial change to the business. All right. Well, stay with us. When we return, we're going to continue our conversation with Dallas as we address the factors that keep change from happening on a ranch and why profitability is important for passing the ranch on to the next generation. We'll be back right after this. If you could do something today that would bring you profit tomorrow, would you do it? In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds naturally to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as Limousine Today, Profit Tomorrow. Welcome back here on the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Our guest for this episode has been Dallas Mount, CEO of Ranch Management Consultants. And our topic today is about how important it is for ranchers to run their ranches as a business in order to ensure that lifestyle that we're so proud to have and also to be able to pass it on to the next generation when that time comes. Now, We've talked about the things that can suck the profits out of a ranch, and for most of us, we can identify and we also understand, but making the changes, well, I'll tell you what, that is a whole other hill to climb. So Dallas, when you've had the opportunity to help ranchers through your schools and they go home, what are some of the main factors that keep them from making changes? I, I don't mean this derogatory, but the, the word fear comes to mind. Um, and, and I think sometimes it's, it's, we're not, we don't have the confidence in our decision-making and our information that's in front of us to, to say, yes, I'm willing to try something new. Um, so it's really fear of the unknown, right? I mean, we were just sitting here saying that, um, you know, maybe we should look at different enterprises, right? And it's it's easy to say that and, and throw it on paper, right? Well, what if we didn't have the cows and what if we just grazed this, right? Okay, well, that's easy to think about, but then you get home and you've got all the, all the realities of, well, this is a cow herd that we've had for 
three generations. We've worked hard to put it together. Um, we've our, all of our lives are structured around, you know, these, these cowherd routines and these choices about them, you know, and we, you know, people, in, it, we, we gripe about calving, but we love calving. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we've got a forest service permit that's for cows that have to have this brand on them or whatever, whatever these things might be that we tell ourselves um, that it's easy to just default to the previous position. And, and it's a scary thing to say, yes, I'm willing to make some changes and I'm, I'm going to lead those changes in my business. Um, so I think fear is part of it. And, and then I think just having that support and that, and that peer support mm-hmm. um, to keep moving forward, that's a big piece of it as well. I mean, we see a lot of people that, that go home and, and just default to the old because they said, you know, I tried to lead it. We went through the numbers and at the end of the day, it was just easier just to, just to keep it the way it is. Cause nobody else here was, was excited about doing it or those things. So I think it's those two pieces. It's fear and, and then support of, of the people on the team. A saying I heard one time is that people are motivated by two things, pain and pleasure. And I would guess that in most cases or in some cases, you're getting people into your schools more on the pain side of things. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, it, it's actually kind of moved to be about half and half, I would say. Um, <laughs> there, <laughs> there, there's... Um, there's always a group at our school that that is coming there because they they want different results from their ranch, right? They're disappointed with with the, whether the financial performance or are those kind of things. So they're looking for something else. But I would say we're getting a larger contingent of people who are just hungry for for what's out there, right? And and we were in fact I was with a rancher today who's been through the school twice now. Uh, had lunch with him, and he said, you know, it was amazing the second time I came how well-informed the rest of my class was. And it seemed like these, these people had been reading things about soil health was, was his example. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were bought in. And I, I think it's podcasts like yours, like the other podcasts out there that are, that are helping create that culture. Um, but I, I think part of it's just, you know, we're excited about learning. We're excited about g- engaging with other people in agriculture who are uh, progressive, who are accountable, um, you know, that really have that mindset of, Hey, I, I want to drive my business forward. And, you know, to be honest, it's kind of hard to find a peer group in agriculture that, that doesn't think we're all victims. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah. you can sit around and tell yourself you're a victim all day long and what good is that going to do for you? So I think a lot of people come to us cause they, they're excited about the, the peers that they find. You mentioned it a little bit ago that one of the issues that people come to you is passing on to the next generation. And I can't help but think uh, several years ago when I was in ag radio, I know at the time uh, in it, I don't think much has changed yet too far. But the average age of the American farmer and rancher was almost at retirement age for most businesses. And so we do see the passing on to the next generation as a big issue. And as as you uh, work with ranches and, and managers and so forth, how do we address that issue? Yeah, boy, we could do a podcast on that alone. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love talking about this, Justin, because it's so critical uh, to making the, the family farm, the family ranch um, carry on. Mm-hmm. If you look at the statistics, they're pretty dismal, really, in terms of our ability to successfully pass leadership of the business from one generation to the next. So I, I think we need to learn how to break that that cycle of failure. Um so we talk about this for a few hours at the school and, and we're actually, our company's building a curriculum around uh, succession and ranching, but to, to break it down for you in a nutshell, um, there, there's two pieces of succession. There, there is management succession and then there's asset 
succession. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so asset succession is really a question of who gets what and when. Okay. And, and that's where a lot of people's mind immediately goes when they hear the word succession. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, you know, well, what's the ownership structure and who owns what. And, and to be honest with you, I think that's the easier piece to manage. Um, you know, the answer to that is really the, the owners, the people that are owning it now need to figure out what they want to do and then let everybody know, mm-hmm. right? That, that's really what needs to happen. The, the management succession part is much, there's a, there's a lot more meat in there. And, and when you actually look at the issues that are created in succession, that's where most of the issues lie. And, and so when we say management succession, we're talking about things like control, role, decision-making, and money. Okay, so so how do you pass uh, control, leadership, authority, decision making, competency? How how do we pass those pieces of running the farm and ranch to the next generation, and and do that gracefully and and successfully? Okay? And um, so there's a lot of pieces in that. It's um, you know how do we help the the current controlling generation um, let go with some assurances. Okay, that, that they're not going to be left out there to starve. Gen- generally, all their assets are wrapped up in the business. Mm-hmm. Okay? And mo- most of us are not retiring from ranches with nice 401ks to go yeah. to. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, and then how do you help the incoming generation step up with competency so, so that they can lead this business uh, w- with success in the future? And, and, and so, I mean, there's, there's a whole there's several days worth of material and, and dissecting that out. But, um, you know, and, and it really is a exercise in, in psychology in a lot of ways, right. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you, how do you make people feel appreciated and understood and listened to, um, and at the same time help them gracefully hand over. Right. So we've referenced several times a school and what we never really talked about it, but I know that's what you're doing uh, is as the CEO of ranch management consultants, maybe folks would be more familiar if I use the name ranching for profit schools. And of course, one time I, I said something a ranching for profit to somebody and they say, that doesn't, does those go together? So, <laughs> so explain your, your schools and, and kind of how that works. Sure. Yeah. So our company does does a couple things. Uh, we teach the Ranching for Profit School and we run a program called Executive Link. Uh, the Ranching for Profit School is a seven day business management school for people in agriculture. And, and it's really based on the concept that knowing how to raise livestock or knowing how to grow crops is not the same thing as knowing how to run a business that raises livestock. Or knowing how to run a business that grazes raises crops, mm-hmm. they're they're two entirely different things, and and most of us that are brought up in agriculture were taught from a young age how the production side of the business, right? I mean, you look at what 4-H and FFA is doing, and a lot of those things, and most of it's all about the raising of the crops or the raising of the animals, the producing. And and very little of it, very little of our training, those of us that grow up in agriculture, is about running a business that does these things. So, you know, putting together a cash flow, putting together economic projections. Uh, we were just talking about developing a succession plan, uh, you know, developing roles in the business, uh, authority, accountability structure, mission and vision, and all these pieces that any business, any business needs to have in place for it to be successful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and so that's really what we do is we, we teach people how to run a business uh, with agriculture as the model. And I mean, these concepts aren't new. They're, they're age old concepts. Uh, but for many of us in agriculture, we've just never had the opportunity to be, um, had them put in front of us and really been challenged to think about 
our farm and ranch as a business, kind of where, where we started the discussion. So, so that's what we do at Ranching for Profit. Uh, we've been doing it for 35 years. Um, we've, we've done more of these schools than any other company around. Uh, we know what we're doing at it. Uh, you know, our instructors are top notch and, and we're really proud of, of the work we do at Ranching for Profit. The, the second thing we do is we run a program called Executive Link. So when people graduate out of the school, uh, you mentioned, you know, they, they go home mm-hmm. and, and how do you, what's the difference between people that put it in place and don't. And, and so Executive Link is we take graduates of the Ranching for Profit School and we place them on boards of directors for each other. And, and so when you're on a board, there's five or six businesses on this board and, and you'll spend five sixths of your time as an advisor to these other businesses. So we're looking inside each other's business, uh, you know, financials are shared, uh, you know, we're, and we're looking at strategic level decisions. We're not, we're not talking about, you know, should I spray this weed? Should I plant this grass? We're, yeah. we're talking about what's your enterprise structure? You know, what, what's your gross margins on your cows? And so people are discussing these things. And at the end of that meeting, uh, you leave with an action plan saying, you know, okay, I'm going to do this uh, by this deadline. And I know I'm meeting with you guys in three months and I'm going to have to report back against this. So, um, so it's really a peer accountability program uh, to help people get things done. And, and right now we've got about 120 businesses across the U S and executive link and, and they meet three times a year. They look inside each other's business. uh, And it's just, just a fascinating program where, uh, you know, I'm blessed because I get to work with some of the best people in agriculture out there and, and just, I get to learn from them. So, so that, that's, that's what we do. We do those two things. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. You bet, Justin. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mount, CEO and owner of Ranch Management Consultants. He's out of Wheatland, Wyoming. However, they do schools all across the country. If you'd like more information, go to their website, ranchmanagement.com. That's ranchmanagement.com. Just a final thought about our topic today. If your son or daughter were to come to you after they went to college for four years and say, Dad, Mom, here's the deal. I think what I want to do is travel the country and live out of a van. Now, I'm guessing there's going to be some pretty intense discussion about that choice with the youngster and that type of lifestyle. And explaining to them how it's going to be a pretty hard road to hoe with no cash flow, no certainty, no real plan. So tell me this. Is this how it is for ranching for some? Now, I know there are those that are able to do it as a hobby, and that's fine. But for many, it takes someone having a full-time job off the ranch and not taking a paycheck from the ranch to make a go at it. And my goal today, by no means, was to discourage anyone, but to make you aware that ranching is a viable business. And if you value your lifestyle, then we must be business-minded ranchers. Just something to think about. Well, a little bit longer episode than normal today, and I encourage you to stay with us into our next segment, because just as we were recording this episode, word come down from Washington, D.C. about a bill introduced called the Cattle Market Transparency Act. So I called Jess Peterson with Western Skies Strategies. He's going to be joining us in our upcoming segment to give us the details on this bill. Back after this. It's Sheen. 
More pounds, more calves, more profit. Studies show Hereford Genetics increased net profit by $51 per cow per year. That's $20,000 in additional revenue for a typical 400-cow outfit. And calves sired by Hereford bulls continue to add value through the chain. A documented $30 per head in feedlot profitability. That's real money and real results. Get more ka Come home to Hereford at Hereford.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast. Jess Peterson with Western Sky Strategy joins me now as I was recording our episode. I received the press release from the U.S. Cattlemen's Association about the Cattle Market Transparency Act being introduced by Senator Deb Fisher, Republican out of Nebraska, Ron Wyden, Democrat out of Oregon. So I called Jess, caught him just as he was getting home. Jess, thank you for jumping on here with me. So explain the details of the Cattle Market Transparency Act that was introduced and what you see it doing. Absolutely. Well, this is first off a hat tip to every cattle producer, cattle feeder from across the country that got involved. Hat tip to a bipartisan bill introduction. We don't see a lot of bipartisanship in Washington right now. It's great. Agriculture remains bipartisan because of farmers and ranchers, uh, get involved and act accordingly. This bill seeks to really address a downward trend that's been happening in the last 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. Now, we understand the concepts that came about when they called these uh, alternative marketing arrangements, these formula deals that work out with these corporate cattle feeders and any, you know, cattle feeder can get involved in these, in these corporate deals set up with, uh, with meat packers. And what happens is, is it's just a cancer plague in our industry. You're, you're decreasing the cash market and cash is really king. It's how you establish, uh, it's how you establish the market. And so when we get this two or three dollars over and don't tell me what it is, and don't tell anybody else what it is. And, and all of a sudden we're seeing even now why we can't seem to do very well uh, within the last month on these, on these fat cattle trade. You're not seeing enough leverage. You're not seeing enough competition. And you're not seeing enough transparency, even to the point, even to the point, the government reporting program known as mandatory price reporting, which is already a government program put into place with good intentions Mm -hmm. to have transparency is being used against us because it got to the point when you decimated that cash trade, you also were limited on what you could report the trade that was happening. So what happened there is where you have good solid cash trade happening in, in Iowa and Nebraska, you'd have places in the plains, Colorado that aren't even reporting it. So everyone knows the problem. Everyone knows you, you seem to have a good rally out there and something just, it won't catch it. It won't catch a tailwind at all. It just, it hits a headwind and it just tanks. Why is that? We know the indicators. It's leverage, transparency, and competition. The cattle market uh, transparency act of 2021, the center Fisher and center wide teed up, is very simple in what it does. It establishes a regional minimum number of cash trade. So it's going to establish a floor in which it can go no longer, it can go no lower. In addition, in addition, it will say actually robust trade is higher than what's currently trading. So it will mandate, and that's where it gets a little sticky because it does mandate that the packers and the corporate feeders go back to what we used to have. Mm-hmm. which was robust cash trade. So it will mandate a certain threshold to happen. Now that's going to happen in the next two years. We're going to work those numbers out. We've got some great folks uh, uh, like Brett Crosby and others, and Lee Richmond, Justin Tupper that are working on those numbers to say, what is robust trade? We'll work with USD on that. So that first dollar shoots, it establishes a minimum of cash trade. It can't go any lower than what's been. 
and we're going to actually increase that cash trade in key areas of Texas, the plains and whatnot. So that's the first part. It's going to do increase cash trade. That's going to be a big help. Uh, it's going to create a contract library. This is a no brainer. We've been working on this since 2008 and beyond in which these sweet deals that everyone says they get to run out there and said, Oh, Justin, that's what you got for your calves. You must not be marketing the right way. I, I got this deal. Well, the reason that Packer got that feeder got the deal is they had a sweet deal with the Packer that said, you know, we're going to give you this much over what everyone else gets if you don't talk about it. And so what that sets up then is a lack of transparency. And so all these contracts, these quote unquote sweet deals, they're going to have to be published on the USDA website. The pork industry already does this. Mm-hmm. We're, we're like 15 years behind getting a contract library up around. So there's a contract library. Pretty cool there. Um, this is something, too, where we don't know if the packers are buying in the open. We don't know how much formula cattle's out there. They're going to report the number of cattle scheduled for delivery on slaughter. So we always know the feeder cleanup. We always talk about the cattle cleanup, mm-hmm. cattle on feed. We know that. We know where the feeders are at. We oftentimes don't know where are the packers at. Where, where are they at with regards to um, buying up fat cattle? And so this is going to say they're going to report that in the next 14-day window. So add a little bit more. So if you're that feeder, you're waiting on a bid, mm-hmm. packers saying, nah, I don't really need these cattle. You're looking at them saying, actually, it looks like you do need these cattle. It's going to give a little bit more confidence, a little more leverage to those feeders come come Thursday, Friday when, when cash is breaking and whatnot. Um this is something that, for especially someone that you that spent your entire career reporting on the market news, reporting on the market news and the fact that, again, as I referenced, Iowa and Nebraska, they're reporting their cash trades, and yet when we go to seek these other information, we're not getting it. And that's where, uh, if there's not more than two entities reporting, if it looks like the packer could be outed for their you know, information revealed through price reporting, could name a, a source then it was rejected. Just really stupid mm-hmm. clause. Mm-hmm. And it was really not how it was designed. It's basically saying there is no way if USDA touches that information, which it should be. Government touches the information. It should be there for the public. So there's no more hiding behind this confidentiality clause. Folks, I can tell you, working ranch radio, we've been working on this thing for 10 years. So where is it at? We now have that in a bill. So those are four key elements mm-hmm. teed up. Okay, so what's the future of this bill getting through Congress? Now, oftentimes they say, well, just good bills get introduced all day, every day. What's going to happen? Yep. Well, price reporting, which is a must-pass reauthorization every five years. We set it up to make changes. We wouldn't let it move completely unless it had some types of tweaks. Senator Fisher put this bill together. Price reporting is under a one-year extension. It, it, it expires here in September of 2021. So we can now spend, so folks in Working Ranch Radio listening country, spend the next six months interacting with your senator and with your representative. There's a House bill introduced here, too, in this bill. And tell them this has to be attached to mandatory price reporting reauthorization. So as we reauthorize price reporting, Mm -hmm. folks, we're going to attach this bill on. We're going to make amendments to the Packers and Stockyards Act of 1921 and 2021. Folks, let's get it done. This is a great opportunity to build this cattle market, 
build back some transparency, some leverage, and some true price discovery. It's now or never, folks, and we're fired up. All right, Jess Peterson, Western Skies Strategies. Thank you for joining me, Jess, here at the last minute to give us an update on this bill that I'm pretty sure you're going to hear more about from your local stock grower group. So stay informed, stay engaged, and like Jess said, be sure to reach out to your congressional delegation. Well, thank you for staying with us a little bit longer than normal on this episode of the Working Ranch Podcast. And a thank you again to our guest, Dallas Mount with Ranch Management Consultants, Jess Peterson with Western Skies Strategy, and of course, the captain, Tim O'Byrne with Tim's Two Cents. You know, we're able to bring you this podcast because we have great sponsors. One of those, the American Simmental Association. You know, heterosis works, which is why with Simmental, it's more per head, period. Check it out at Simmental.org. Also, to Stevenson Angus Ranch. You know, if you go to StevensonAngus.com, you can find an online catalog or the number to call Daryl. If you have any questions, you can send him a text or call him. He can send you a catalog as well. Sale day for Stevenson Angus is March 17th. That's St. Patrick's Day, 1 o'clock at the sale in Hobson or on Superior Livestock's Click to Bid. This has been a production of The Working Ranch Magazine. If you have questions, ideas for topics of the show, would like to get a hold of me, you can do it by calling or texting the studio at 307-363-COWS, or you can shoot me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.